Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is getting gas at Exxon burning a hole in your wallet? Get the Drop app. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards just by filling up your tank. Download Drop now. Use code DROP66 to instantly receive $5 in points. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager. Now, you're all aware that uh, war is kind of humanity's thing. It's our uh, it's our big endeavor. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wrapped up in... Uh, most of our big technological gains. We're it's, great at it. Yeah, it's, it's ingrained in our culture. And we're not above, uh, of course, inflicting war on the environment as a whole and also uh, inviting our uh, our fellow animals in, other members of the animal kingdom, to mm-hmm. participate in our war at varying levels, sometimes as weapons. Yeah, and in fact, uh, throughout human history, we've used animals, we've basically seen them as being tools uh, in the same way we would see like a hammer or an axe or a yeah. gun, right? Uh, in a way to extend human action in combat. Uh, so today we're talking about weaponizing animals and how it's been done and hypotheses on how it could be done. Uh, the first place I want to go with this though is in what inspired me to want to talk about this is the, uh, uh, another, uh, patron saint, I think of stuff to blow your mind, uh, Grant Morrison's great work we three which i've read and i was surprised you hadn't yeah it's I've, I've read a lot of graham morrison but i've never read that title i've wanted to for years i think it's one of those that since it's such a short book i was always hesitant to buy it to because it, in it, yeah, yeah. it felt like well i'm i'm could get more comic if i read this other great comic that i haven't mm-hmm. uh, read yet it's such a beautifully condensed story that even though it's only three issues long, uh, you get your bang for your buck with it. Uh, it's drawn by Frank Quietly, who's worked with Morrison on a bunch of other projects. Mm-hmm. And there's just some amazing work with like layering panels to tell the story. But the gist is, is it's sort of like the sci- sci-fi extension of what we're going to talk about today. The U.S. military takes a rabbit, a dog, and a cat and 
makes them into cyborgs that wear exoskeletons so they can use them on covert black ops. Uh, and uh, they send them to like kill like Mexican drug lords. Huh. Uh, and then essentially the story is these these three animals uh, get out and they're on the run. All right. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to check it out at some point. Um, now, as we roll through these uh, these examples and talk about the, the history of, of using animals as weapons, uh, there's a lot we're going to end up leaving out because in the same way that so many human technologies are tied in with war, our usage of animals is often tied in with war. Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, take the horse, for example. The horse is a major game changer for war in human civilization. In its earliest examples, it it gave raiders the ability to strike out across long distances. And you can even look to its uh, transformative effect, particularly on uh, Native American tribes who, you know, who managed to get by for the longest without the horse. Europeans bring the horse. And you see tribes like the Comanche, for instance, who were just just became a completely different culture, became a, a horse-centric culture. Total game changer. Yeah, yeah. highly adept at uh, equestrian warfare uh, in the aftermath of that introduction. Yeah, I mean, we've used animals for all kinds of duties in warfare, right? Mm-hmm. We used them for mount as mounts, such as horses or elephants. Right. Uh, we've used them for infiltration, rescue, retrieval. I wrote um, pieces uh, for stuff of genius about how uh, ferrets have been trained to find mines mm-hmm. uh, in war uh, and also to lay cable in particular wartime scenarios where they're digging tunnels and things right. like that. So we've used them for all of those. But in this particular episode, we really want to hone in on how we've made them into weapons themselves, right? We're, right. By either adding things to them or basically riling them up in a horrible way uh, to assault our enemies with. Yeah, so as we roll into this first section, uh, I'm actually going to read a quote from the Bible because uh, this uh. is uh, this is a biblical quote that always comes to mind when the topic of weaponized animals comes up. Okay. All right, this is from Judges 15.4, and it, uh, it involves Samson, that, uh, you know, sort of uh, our Herculean uh, figure of, uh, of Old Testament. Uh, Samson with the hair. Yeah, yeah, Samson with the hair, the one. Yeah, he gets mm-hmm. his hair eventually all shaved off. He can't, uh, he loses all his strength. But then he grows it back and he pushes down some pillars. Yeah. And he's saying in other cases, he kills, uh, what, a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. He's, yeah, he's like a superhero. He's, he's like a, the yeah. Bible superhero. Yeah. He's a, he's a violent, violent man. Um, and in this particular, um, instance, uh, he's engaging, uh, in, uh, the weaponization of animals. It, says, uh, it goes like this. Samson then said to them, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put one torch in the middle between two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the shocks and the standing grain along with the vineyards and groves. So this sounds kind of fantastic, right? It yeah. sounds like a myth or is it? And I don't know if, if, if Samson actually did this or if somebody did do this with foxes before, but our first piece of weaponized animals in warfare yeah. is, in fact, using them as incendiary devices. So, uh, whether it's done with foxes or not, I don't know, but we've got war pigs. <laughs> uh, and, uh, this, that's not just a Black Sabbath reference. Uh, in ancient Megara in Greece in 255 BC, the city was under attack from Macedonian conqueror Antigonus II. 
And the McGarrens used a countermeasure by doing the same thing that uh, Samson did, although a little bit more brutally. Uh, they rounded up all their pigs, they doused them in pitch, and then they set them on fire. Then they pushed them out the city gates. Uh, and outside the city, this is where the Macedonians had all their camps set up, right? Uh-huh. So these terrified burning pigs are running around, and they run into the camps, and they set these t- tents on fire, and then the Macedonians rode war elephants. And the elephants were terrified of these burning pigs, as you would be. Uh, <laughs> and, and the elephants subsequently lost total control and trampled a number of the Macedonians. Now, this is a ballsy move for a besieged city to say, all right, we're going to show them. Let's take all these food animals we have here and let's just set them on fire and send them out. Yeah. Maybe they just had a surplus of pigs that year. I don't know. I mean, they it was a gamble, right? I guess they said, hey, we could keep these pigs and eat them as we continue to be strangled. Well, if they won, they could still eat them. Yeah, it's right? true. It's, like, I guess, I guess. if the, there's just these burning pig corpses outside, they could theoretically drag them back in. Yeah, so sort of, uh, barbecue festival. incentives for uh, those that go out to yeah. uh, kill the, the dying. No one out there would guess that I'm the vegetarian on stuff to blow your mind. But yeah, so some accounts say that Antigonus was so badly plagued by this particular strategy that he actually started training his war elephants to mingle with pigs on a regular basis so that they wouldn't be scared of them, whether they were on fire or not. I don't know if he actually like set pigs on fire and had his animals hang out with these fire pigs. <laughs> yeah, that not. seems a bit risky. Yeah, that's it, inexpensive too. Uh, and this is, was, is done again later, not with pigs, but with camels. A thousand years later, uh, the Tuco Mongol leader Timur was said to have used flaming camels against Indian elephants in warfare. Huh. So the same thing, he set a bunch of camels on fire and sent them on their way against these elephants. I'm imagining, like, I think like most people, if they don't immediately go to the Hannibal uh, elephant story, which we're going to get into, they think of Lord of the Rings and those giant oh, elephants yeah. <laughs> that they're riding in that. And I'm wondering why the elves just didn't set a bunch of pigs on fire in Lord of the Rings and send them on their way towards those. What do they call those elephants? They were like oh, huge. They were like elephants or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a variation of elephants? It was like, yeah, like some kind of dire elephant mastodon type thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fun little aside here. I'm talking about weaponizing a camel. Um, and granted, this involves essentially the use of a camel as a mount, mm. uh, but then also as a weapons platform. Okay. Uh, the, uh, there's this, uh, Turkish tradition of the Zamburek, which is, uh, essentially camel mounted weaponry. The earliest wow. examples are you have a crossbow that's mm-hmm. mounted on the saddle. Uh, then you have, uh, powdered guns. And then uh, eventually this evolves to feature rapid fire Gatling guns that are mounted on a swivel. <laughs> Now, you okay. didn't fire this while the camel was standing, yeah. uh, but what you would do is you would get the animal to kneel, and then you would fasten each leg to a cord to keep it from moving, because you were about to fire a Gatling gun on its back, Jeez. and it, I think the average camel might be a little bit spooked by that. That sounds like the kind of thing that would fit in really well in like a D&D campaign. Yeah. Like, uh, you've got your proficiency with mounted uh, animals, and then you add your proficiency with, like, uh, ranged weapons to that. Mount your mount your uh, Gatling gun on a dragon or something, right? <laughs> yeah, and if you want to see a picture of one of these, uh, I'll include a link to a post I did about this on the landing page for this episode. So the incendiary animals doesn't end there either. We've got monkeys uh, doing this in China, and not to themselves. Yenju mm-hmm. rebels in China apparently attacked the Song dynasty in the 12th century, so the imperial army, not the rebels, the army lit a bunch of monkeys on fire and unleashed them into the Yanzhou 
camp. Huh. Presumably, I would, you know, to burn down their tents. Right. And, and cause general terror. They'll just run around and, you know, and spread fire. Mm. I've also read that during the Opium War in the mid-19th century, that the Chinese were, you know, they're trying to, to destroy, damage the English ships. Uh, and they start by looking into using fire rafts. And they actually went forward with a plan to send fireworks-laden monkeys onto the boats. Uh, and to the point that they actually acquired the monkeys, moved them to a, an advanced base, but then uh, some defeats pushed the initiative back and nothing in, never came of it. But they had the monkeys. They were ready to do it. <laughs> this is going to be a common theme in today's episode that we've experimented with using animals as weapons a lot. And then just before mm-hmm. we're about to do it, uh, we back off and we say, wait, we figured out something else that's even worse that doesn't involve animals. Yeah, because I mean, time and time again, it seems like a simple fix. It seems right. like it's just as simple as Samson saying, uh, Samson saying, hey, I'm going to burn them down. I'm going to just light some fire on the back of these foxes and send them on. But then you have to do all of these steps. You have to do training. You have to work on the technology. And eventually there is a better, more simple uh, and dependable method out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially with modern technology. It's really kind of caps off around World War II, which is where we're going to go next. So you get used to setting animals on fire and sending them at your enemies. What's the next step? Strapping bombs to them and sending them at your enemies. So uh, a lot of you out there have probably heard of this. This is the most common example that's brought up with the weaponization of animals. But if you haven't, we're going to talk about anti-tank dogs. Now, this is during World War II. The Soviet Army uh, was training dogs beginning in 1930. So actually, just before uh, they got into, into major battles with Germany, they were training them to carry explosives uh, towards wide range targets, then release the bomb and then run away. And then they would have like a remote detonator for the bomb. Okay. What this evolved into was in 1941, they started training the dogs by hiding food on the undersides of tanks. And they would underfeed these dogs. So they'd be malnourished dogs who were looking for food. They basically teach them the place to find food is under tanks. Uh, and then they would strap 10 to 12 kilograms of high explosives in four pouches to these dogs, like in a little backpack. Uh, in fact, recently on social media, I kind of teased our audience with what we were going to be talking about today by posting an illustration of this from, from the time. We've landed in a very lighthearted place here. Mm. Um, starved dogs that are uh, laden with explosives. Oh, it gets worse. They've got a spring-loaded trigger uh, sticking up on their back, right? So the the idea here is they train these dogs to go looking for food under tanks. They send them off towards the Germans. The dogs crawl under German tanks, and then when they stand up to look for the food... They push the pin into the bottom of the tank. Okay. Boom goes the explosives and kills the dog, right? Uh, you know, I guess this is better than setting the dogs on fire because it's pretty instantaneous death, but it's still pretty horrific. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out for the Russians as they planned because German tanks used petrol and Russian tanks used diesel. Uh, so what would happen was the dogs would, uh, you know, they, they're operating more on their sense of smell when they're looking for something to eat. Mm-hmm. So they would end up heading back to where they came from, smelling the diesel. Uh, they would also run away because of the loud noises of gunshots and explosions during battle. So they would often uh, either end up under Soviet tanks or they would dive into Soviet trenches and then explode. So, okay, the Germans also caught wind of this from capturing some prisoners. And during interrogation, the prisoners were like, yeah, we're training dogs and strapping bombs to their backs. Okay. And uh, so the Germans had a policy at this point. They would just shoot any dogs on site once they learned this. So any dogs that they came in contact with, they would just immediately shoot them from far away. 
Uh, and then earlier, there were border skirmishes with Japan uh, in which Russia sent mine-carrying dogs. They tried to train them to open the hatches on the top of tanks and then drop the mines in that would explode. Apparently, these mines were somehow set to explode in proximity to metal. Mm-hmm. So the metal of the tanks would, would, would make the mines explode then, too. So the idea here is when strapping explosives to a dog... Make the task as complicated as possible. Oh, yeah. You yeah. can make it even worse. The, uh, Japan also used dogs in World War II. But instead of uh, giving them little backpacks, they would strap little carts to them that they pulled behind them that were filled with 50 pounds of explosives. And they would detonate those remotely. Uh, th- I, my impression was this isn't the situation where they would let the dogs uh, deliver the goods and then come back. Right. They, they blew the dogs up as well. Uh, they reportedly used this when Japan attacked Malaysia and Hong Kong. Uh, and then we in the U.S. also tested this. Uh, we tested it with time bombs, though. Uh, it, what ended up happening was the dogs would end up running back, similar to the Soviet situation. They'd run back to their owners. They never actually made it into battle, and it was just deemed inefficient. Yeah, the, the U.S. Uh, yeah, briefly uh, flirted with the use of explosive dogs. Uh, they even started a trial program at uh, Virginia's uh, uh, Fort Belvoir in uh, 1943, uh, they, uh, they, they labeled them demolition wolves, which yeah. is interesting because they, the American uh, affinity for dogs, I feel mm-hmm. like they they had to just linguistically take a step back from that and say, oh, well, they're not bomb dogs. They're, uh, they're, uh, demolition wolves. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but they were looking at working on using them as bunker busters. So the aim here was to train them to enter Japanese tunnels and fortifications while wearing 20 pounds of explosives, either timed or remotely detonated by a 300 foot electrical wire. So as you mentioned, one of the problems. So this dog or wolf is, is trailing behind electrical yeah, wire yeah, the whole way. Just to keep wow. it simple. Okay. Now, as as you mentioned, one of the the problems that was always a worry that the dog would return to the friendlies, return to the U.S. Marines, and explode, mm. or that donated dogs would be hard to come by okay. when it became known that yeah. this is what the military was using them for. Yeah, and, and so this gets to kind of the heart of why I think we don't see this as much uh, in present day is because it's just kind of considered barbaric and unethical, especially with you know dogs, which are sort of man's best friend, right? Right. And then that, that would be the, the last animal that we would want to do this with. Uh, although, you know, uh, there's, you, we're, we're not going to specifically hone in on this, but the dolphin, uh, usage, mm-hmm. uh, in wartime has been rumored, uh, to have been, we should, uh, imply that the the conspiracy guys should do an episode on dolphin weaponization because as far as i could find there's no evidence that dolphins are actually weaponized they are used by the military uh for for, for you know research mis- missions or uh you know finding mines or, right. or rescue operations but there's no actual evidence and the military denies every time somebody says oh yeah you're strapping like missile launchers to to dolphin backs now, not too long after this whole demolition wolves uh, scenario, the U.S. also experimented with dogs as mine detectors. Okay. Um, and this ends up being something we do to this day. The U.S. military still uses bomb dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we're talking highly trained, uh, explosive sniffing animals. Uh, but at the time, uh, this was a rougher procedure. In the training, they found that uh, 96% of the mines uh, were discovered by the dogs. So the dogs were actually really good at sniffing out the mines, Mm -hmm. but they also didn't want the dogs detonating the mines. Mm -hmm. So they tried to train them to fear the mines. Okay. And this made most of the dogs then afraid of all metal objects, including their own food bowls. 
uh, to the point where only six of these dogs were ever actually sent into combat. Only six were able to uh, to, to to exit training um, with with the correct level of uh, fear regarding uh, metal objects. Well, you know, I'm in the middle of training a new dog right now. I I can sympathize. I'm having yeah. trouble just getting our new dog to walk up and down stairs. What's well, a complicated thing, right? Yeah. Manipulating another organism's behavior, like knowing how it has evolved to behave, and then warping that to your own benefit, be it just the benefit of living calmly in a house right, or yeah. dealing with explosives. Yeah, ex- sort of teaching them what the rules of the world are is a lot more difficult than we would think that it would be. Uh, so, yeah, we mentioned uh, there's Hannibal's elephants. Those were notoriously used in military operation. Uh, there's the dolphins that I talked about before. We've got to get to John C. Lilly. We yeah. keep talking about this, but uh, somebody just asked me about uh, on social media, if we were going to do something around uh, telepathy and dolphins, and I thought, man, oh we, yeah, we just got to we got to dive right into that John C. Lilly episode. Yeah, we need to order up some books and mm-hmm. uh, move forward. But yeah, I mean, uh, dogs are still used today. Uh, as recently as in 2005, there was a dog suicide bomb that was reported in Kirk uh, by a bomber in Iraq. The dog was killed, but no humans were hurt in that scenario. So people are still strapping bombs to dogs, uh, and. Fortunately, though, we have other explosive sniffing animals, like I was talking about with those ferrets uh, oh, yeah. that are particularly good at, at seeking out mines. I believe there have been some uh, some excellent projects involving rats as well. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more weaponized animals. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Is getting gas at Chevron burning a hole in your wallet? What if I told you you can easily earn cash back while you fill up? Introducing Drop, the app that turns every fill-up into a reward. With Drop... 
You'll earn points to get free gift cards every time you fill up your tank. Download Drop and use code DROP77 to instantly receive $5 in points to jumpstart your savings journey. Don't miss out on turning your gas expenses into something rewarding. All right, we're back. So one of the most insane stories that I came across when we were researching this involved bats. Same idea. Strap some explosives, or in this case, they were uh, incendiary devices, to bats, uh, and then drop them on your enemy. And it's I thought, crazy because it seems yeah. like the one of the last animals you would choose, right? Yeah, but apparently it was rather efficient. So this was his idea, okay, Robert? You uh, take the bats and you put them into an egg-shaped container and you drop them over your target. Okay, it's like a bomb full of bats. Yeah, uh, and it it's a it's got a parachute and it opens. Right so at the level so the bats can fly off uh, and they can go and land and hide in attics and barns and homes, all the kinds of places the bats normally go right. to, right? L- they're searching for, you know, tight, enclosed, dark spaces. Uh, and then these bats have these explosives on them that are radio controlled. Um, we set them off remotely. We actually prototyped this. So this was his idea that he just wrote in a letter. Can you imagine, like, today, like, <laughs> I write to Barack Obama and I say got an idea what if we strap bombs to bats you know <laughs> like that would just immediately go in the junk pile yeah you whoever they would never mail. even finish the letter right yeah exactly but no uh at that time not only did they read it but they went this is a pretty good idea and then put it into uh put it into prototype so that uh they in the 1940s the u.s government actually tested this they accidentally set an Air Force Base in Carlsbad, New Mexico on fire, testing this oh, with, yeah. with bats. So this task involved basically two teams here. Uh, and this is where you can really imagine the miniseries unfolding, right? Yeah. Uh, so one involved a few men who had to scout caves throughout the American Southwest to find both the variety of bat uh, that would that they could use okay. and a place where they could be captured in the necessary quantities. So you have to hit that sweet spot, right? right. It needs to be something you can strap explosives to, but it needs to be something you can find in, in, in large enough amounts. It needs to be something that you can handle, that you can feed, that you can store. And that's why they end up deciding on this Mexican free-tailed bat. Okay. All right. So we've got the bats. We've got an egg-shaped container full of bats. Right. How do we strap these tiny little bombs to them? And this, this is the other area where it gets crazy, right? Because... Because each of what they come up with is basically a marvel of explosive engineering. Okay. We're talking one ounce bombs. Uh, each one is an oblong, uh, nitrocellulose case filled with thickened kerosene, essentially napalm. Okay. And a delayed action timer. And when ignited, the capsule produces a two foot long flame for eight solid minutes. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So okay. Yeah. So it's not like a little That's spark. Like so much more than I expected mm-hmm. when I was initially reading about this. Yeah. I mean, they engineered the heck out of this problem. <laughs> they said, "Oh, you want to you want a bat to explode? Well, 
we're going to make it as explosive as humanly possible. This is like the kind of like steampunk weaponry that I can imagine in like some kind of video game nowadays, like a uh, Bioshock or something yeah. like that. Like you now have the power to, to send out a swarm of bats that are covered in explosives. Yeah. I guess it would be, you could think of it as like what animal punk or something. I don't yeah, know. Some yeah. There's going to be a whole new punk. literature genre uh, based around this. So yeah, the Marines tested this. They built a mock-up of a Japanese city and they dropped the bats on it. And the test was deemed a success. They spent $2 million on testing this project, and then they canceled it. And mm-hmm. the reason why was they felt the, the U.S. government felt that it was moving along too slowly. So they, they uh, moved all those resources into focusing on the atom bomb. Right. Uh, and which we now know was used and, and, and was fairly successful. Uh, Adams, the guy who came up with this idea and wrote the letter initially, was later interviewed uh, and he reportedly said that his bat bomb plan would have caused much as much structural damage as an A bomb, but there wouldn't have been as much loss of life. So he wished that they had stuck with the bat bomb plan rather than uh, moving into atomic weaponry. It's still amazing that we ended up spending millions of dollars on it, though. And and I have a few other tidbits here from just the, the kind of wackiness of this whole endeavor. So the, the idea for deployment was that they would keep the bats in cooled hibernation in that big egg bomb. Right? Okay. Uh, and then they'd wake up when the bomb containing them opened at the appropriate altitude. But in the test, many of the bats died when they didn't wake up before ground impact. Yeah. So they're just landing. That wherever. was something I was wondering about, too, is like how they're packed in there. Right. Because I'm picturing like, you know, bats like to hang from things. Did they just like stuff this thing <laughs> until it was full of a thousand bats? Or, do right. they, you know, they have like little, I don't know, compartments for each bat. Yeah, and then uh, and then in the test too, and I'm presuming that they were not laden with explosives at this point. They were just mm. testing the deployment. Sure, some of them flew further away than expected, up to 20 miles away, and this ended up threatening the project secrecy. So the testing team had to go out, knock on <laughs> doors, visit farmers, and say, "Hey." Uh, we're with the military. Can we look in your attic and your barn and see if there are any sus- anything suspicious going up there? This is there such the an X Files episode waiting to happen. <laughs> it's like uh, the cold open is just like bats swarm all over this small town, and mm-hmm. then Mulder and Scully show up and are like, mm, "Why are there all these bats here?" And it turns <laughs> out that they're weaponized by the U.S. government. And you already mentioned the burning airbase, but the details there are crazy too okay. because this begins where they have all the bats suited up. You know, they're they're, they're perfectly explodable and everything. Uh, and they say, hey, somebody should get a photo of this. Okay. So the army photogs move in, right? And uh, they're getting there. They're getting ready to take some close-ups. And then the bats are startled by this. They wake up far faster than anticipated. They escape. They run over to the nearby abandoned air base, that Carlsbad uh, Auxiliary Airfield. Yeah. Catch it on fire. And... This is a secret operation, so they can't call in the fire department to put it out, so they just have to watch it burn. Okay. And one of the bats flies under a general's car and, and, and then <laughs> ignites the there. car to explode. Yeah, the car explodes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, these poor bats. I mean, they're providing us with some some humor now, but wow. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Although, again, I guess it's better than, you know, it's like the dog thing. It's better than being set on fire. At least it's quick. Yeah, and here's another detail, and I, and I got this from a book by John M. Uh, Kistler, uh, his book, uh, Animals in the Military, From Hannibal's Elephants to uh, the Dolphins of the U.S. Navy. And this goes into not only weaponized animals, yeah. but just their general usage. So it's a great book to, to point out. Uh, but he he's, he mentions that after the, the fire uh, shenanigans, mm. the Army actually bailed and the Navy took it over. 
Okay. And uh, then this is where it really becomes Operation X-Ray, as it's called. Yeah. Uh, the Navy leases four caves uh, that includes um, Nay Cave, uh, which contains 20 to 30 million bats. So you're good to go. Yeah, they just, just scoop them up, yeah. put them in the egg. <laughs> you don't have to train these bats either, is my understanding. It's just put them in the egg, give them a little backpack full of bombs, drop them. They do the rest. Yeah, so they rely on their natural behavior. Yeah, so in that it, it that sense, it seems a lot more sensible than the dog thing. You're not mm-hmm. having to manipulate its behavior so much. You're not having to rewrite its behavior. You're just saying, hey, they're bats. They're going to do what bats do. And if they should happen to have a little bit of napalm on them, well. Hey, you know, uh, great dentists have come up with amazing ideas that have pushed forward. <laughs> as we learned, as we learned in our episode on, on tooth modification and extraction. That's true. They're, they're, uh, they're outside the box thinkers. <laughs> so there's another animal that was used in a, a situation kind of similar to this again during World War II. Again, uh, a sort of weird suggestion, although this is from somebody who's a little bit more famous. Uh, we're going to talk about Project Pigeon, or it was also known as Project Orcon. And our guest star for this is one B.F. Skinner. Ah, Skinner Box. Yeah. Yep. Skinner came up with this idea that you'd take trained pigeons and you'd put them inside the nose cones on the front of U.S. missiles. And the pigeons would guide these missiles. This is before we had, like, missile targeting systems. Uh, by tapping a target on a touch-sensitive screen that showed its destination. So this is the part I don't understand. I don't remember us, not that I was alive, but we had touch-sensitive screens during World War II. <laughs> I, I don't remember this. It sounds like they have this pigeon in a little room with an iPad. Well, I think the the screen here is likely um, like the fabric screen. Oh, okay. Because my, my, uh, one of the sources I was looking at referred to neck movement. So I think maybe we're talking about fabric screens and then when the, the pigeons neck. So they're actually seeing what's in front of the missile. It's not a projection of what is in front of the missile. I guess. Okay. But uh, but yeah, this one's a little, uh, this one's a little harder for me to wrap my head around. They train these pigeons to peck at specific shapes that were, you know, high targets. So ships, for instance, uh, if you pe- if the pigeon pecked on a ship, then they would be rewarded with grain. Uh, and, uh, you know, we spent two million on the bats. We only spent twenty five thousand on the pigeon program. And uh, again, it was ultimately shelved in 1944. The military wanted to use the funds instead to focus on fully developing radar. Yeah, and ultimately that's the method that uh, that plays out. Um, so that's kind of Skinner's thing, though. Just his mm-hmm. answer to everything is like, yeah, put it in a box. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the worst world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. 
What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriment, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Is getting gas at Chevron burning a hole in your wallet? What if I told you you can easily earn cash back while you fill up? Introducing Drop, the app that turns every fill-up into a reward. With Drop, you'll earn points to get free gift cards every time you fill up your tank. Download Drop and use code DROP77 to instantly receive $5 in points to jumpstart your savings journey. Don't miss out on turning your gas expenses into something rewarding. Now, we're about to talk about rats. I do want to mention real quick that uh, on Project X-Ray, yeah. with the exploding bats, yeah. uh, at one point, uh, some of the, the research team said, hey, let's do this with rats, too. Yeah. That's a ta- we've already developed the um, the super small incendiary device. Sure, it's let's just, just a small step to move forward to rats, right? Yeah. yeah, and instead of, I'm assuming that they would, instead of opening the egg-shaped container in midair, they it would just let it land and it would open, and then the rats would run into Right, or city. I guess they would be deployed some other way, but apparently that suggestion was just completely ignored. I guess they were like, no, I'm sorry, we're all in on bats. We're not doing rats, too. <laughs> it, the head of the project was Bruce Wayne, and he was just like, sorry, I only do bats, no other animals. <laughs> it's Project X-Ray. It's not going to make sense if we do rats. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Okay, so we've done incendiary weaponization of animals. We've done explosive weaponization of animals. We're going to end with the biological weaponization of animals. So what better animal to start with than the rat, right? Yeah. So again, we turn to World War II. It's 1942, and the Soviets take disease-bearing rats and send them out against German troops in the Battle of Stalingrad. So the story goes that they infected these rats with tularemia, which is also known as rabbit fever. It's a bacterial infection that causes weakness, fever, and skin ulcers. Doesn't sound pleasant, right? So they spread this through contact with the infected animal, in this case a rat, uh, but it can also be transmitted through respiration. So before the Germans reached the Volga, 50% of the German soldiers who had entered Soviet camps after Stalingrad had symptoms of this disease, of rabbit fever. And it's hypothesized that it was because of this, uh, you know, DIY hack of <laughs> life hacks for the, for World War II of, uh, infecting these rats with the disease. Yeah. I was reading some material on this from, um, bioweapons, uh, former uh, Soviet bioweapons researcher Ken Alabek, who's written some fabulous stuff on, on bioweapons. And he pointed out that so in 1941, the Soviet Union reported 10,000 cases of the illness. And it's during that German siege of Stalingrad when it's apparently weaponized. You see the cases skyrocket to 100,000. And the way he laid it out, he made it sound, I mean, he strongly uh, suggested, his, his argument was that, yes, this had to have been a biological attack. 
And it's also interesting that Alabek would go on to develop a strain of vaccine-resistant tularemia uh, for the Soviets uh, before defecting to the United States in 1992. Well, as with many of the other examples that we have given already today, uh, this didn't quite work out so well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as with the dogs, as with the bats. So it seems that the disease also infected the Soviets. Yeah. Uh, apparently it was, uh, it can be treated in a timely manner and everything. Uh, and, and some people develop a lifelong resistance to it if they've been treated. So some of the Germans had, you know, potentially already had it. They were resistant to it because of that. But, uh, subsequently other Germans weren't passing along to one another after they got it from the rats. Sunlight also kills it in 30 minutes, as does antibiotics. So, you know, there were a lot of ways that the Germans could shake this off. But then the rats apparently weren't, you know, just going at the Germans. Yeah. They I were mean, sticking in around. this case, you see the, the problem of depending on two biological uh, agents in your biological weapon program, yeah. uh, both of which you're just tr- you're trying to manipulate how they behave. But they're both going to do their thing. The rat's yeah. going to do its thing and uh, the disease is going to do its thing. Yeah, exactly. So we see something similar in which uh, we try to move this biological weaponization on to the next logical stage, right, from rats to bugs. Uh, so fleas were actually sprayed with disease and dropped from low-flying airplanes in bombs. Uh, they also filled these bombs with a slurry of cholera bacteria. This has supposedly been done by the Japanese against the Chinese and that they killed at least 440,000 Chinese with such a weapon. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems one of the things to keep in mind about uh, these essentially low tech vermin based attacks yeah. is that they're still possible today. Yeah. Um, most of the the major players in biological weaponry or in, in hopefully in many cases, former players as as some countries uh, get out of the business. You know, most of them are, are exper- experimenting with more uh, high tech weaponized versions, such as the use of aerosols. Right. But you still can potentially go back to these low tech vermin based methods. Yeah. Multiple articles that I read for this, uh, there wasn't any research saying that people were doing this, but basically the insinuation was. Well, if we're worried about terrorism in present day society, this is one way that's fairly easy for a terrorist to attack a large area, yeah. right? Infect, uh, rats or insects with some kind of, le- not lethal, but bad disease. It's right. going to really, you know, weaken the population. So, uh, U.S. also did this with fleas. Uh, there was the operation, I love the names for these, Operation X-ray, and then it, there must have been like, one person who just like came up with all the names. He sat around all day coming up with this. So the name for this one was Operation Big Itch. Oh, okay. Perfect. Um, and that's because they were using fleas again. Uh, they tested it at Utah's Dugway Proving Ground in 1954. And what they did was they, they placed a bunch of guinea pigs in a 660 yard circular grid to see, this is how they detected the presence of whether or not the fleas were working. They used tropical rat fleas. Okay. Uh, and they dropped them from bombs. The bombs in this case were designed to hold 200,000 fleas each. And the test showed that the fleas survived the drop and did attach themselves to the hosts. In this case, all of these guinea pigs that are in this big circular <laughs> grid. Uh, the downside was that the canisters were opening in 
midair and those aboard the plane, including the pilot and the person operating, you know, the, the drop and everything, they were also getting bitten. So okay. they didn't infect these fleas with any diseases for this test. This was just a like, can we drop fleas in a bomb and they'll actually get all over these guinea pigs? Right. And then potentially use them as a delivery system for another. Exactly. Agent. Okay. It, literal guinea pigs. This is not, <laughs> they actually used guinea pigs. All right. Well, I think we covered all the basic ways you can weaponize an animal. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there are other examples out there or rumors of examples, mm-hmm. right? But these were the ones that we could nail down and find evidence for. If you out there have some kind of reference that, uh, that to something we missed, especially something as like absolutely insane as the bat bomb, yeah. uh, we want to hear about it. Yeah. Because certainly there are a lot of other examples in history. Like I was reading that Hannibal allegedly experimented with hurling poisonous snakes onto enemy vessels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talked in the X-Files episode, Joe and I talked about using beehives as mm-hmm. projectile weapons and hurling them at your enemies. Oh, cool. Uh, and uh, supposedly uh, Byzantine Emperor Leo the Wise, who reigned from 886 to 912, he supposedly employed the use of scorpions in a similar boat-to-boat tactic. So Would they, like, fill, like, a um, a launcher with scorpions and just fired them at I'm guessing, like, a basket of scorpions yeah. you just lob into the enemy ship. I mean, oh. that's how basic, like, some yeah. <laughs> the weaponization of animals is. Let's, let's take a... Is there a dangerous animal? Let's get a lot of them and just throw them at the enemy. Well, if you out there have got more examples like this, scorpions, poisonous snakes, beehives, whatever, we want to hear about it. The best ways to get in touch with us are you can start with social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. Uh, all those, we receive messages and we are blow the mind on those. Uh, and we don't just, you know, post our own stuff on social media as well. Throughout the week, Robert, Joe, and I are curating all kinds of weird, bizarre science factoids that we're picking up along our way as we do research for these episodes. Yeah, whatever crosses our desk, uh, you can find it there. And hey, sometimes you can find hints of what we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as in this case, when I just posted a weird illustration of a dog with bombs strapped to his back. <laughs> Some people actually guessed it. Cool. Well, hey, and if you want to get in touch with us the old-fashioned way via the email, uh, reach out to us at BelowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. 
Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be lights out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to lightsoutxf.com. Ever wolfed down a Big Mac and thought, I need some extra cash? Mm-hmm. Then download the Drop app. Get rewarded for dining out and more. Use code DROP22 for $5 in points. Download Drop now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 